بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين يقص الحق وهو خير الفاصلين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما رسالة الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد you know, just thinking, we are so fortunate, so blessed to be in so many blessings, luxuries. Like, look, just look how warm it is. Outside it's cold. Just look how warm it is here. We've got underfloor heating, everyone's dressed well. Even in our houses, we know our houses are warm. Sometimes they get a bit too warm. Heating stays on a bit too long. And you know, living in our blessings and luxuries, we can take these things for granted. Just this morning, I came across something which was devastating. And first I tried to figure out, like, how is this possible? Um, and then I realized that this is what's happened. So as you know, on, you know the situation of the Syrians at the moment, and many other people around the world who are struggling and going through very difficult times. So they've got a very harsh winter. So on the Syrian and the Turkish border, there's a lot of people doing a lot of relief work. And so this morning I came across um, where there was in a tent. So they're living in tents. They've been, their homes have been demolished. They don't have any place to call home. And this morning they found there was a father. He's lying there in the tent with his children and they're all dead. Why? Nobody killed them. They didn't starve out of food. Their bodies were frozen. The cold. Cold. This is something we take for granted. The heating, the access, the facilities that we have. These are simple things. But it's so easy for us to just take it for granted. But we don't know that each thing is a blessing. And each thing is a favor. And each thing is a reminder to you and me that these things are just, they're not just there. It's Allah's kindness, His compassion, His mercy to you and a favor. And just like that is a test for them that's a test for them in their own way right this is a test for us we are being tested in our blessings they are being tested in their difficult situations as well so we are being tested that allah has put us through this and he's given us so much what do we do may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to appreciate the blessings he's given us and help us to turn to him and make the most of the moments that we have in our lives so this is the 45th session of our series, uh, Islam's Greatest Personalities. And we are going to be speaking today about Prophet Dawood alayhi salam. Dawood alayhi salam is the Prophet for today. So who was Dawood alayhi salam? Uh, so Dawood, the son of Isha bin Uwaid, and then his lineage goes all the way to Yehuda, who was the son of Yaqub alayhi salam, who was the son of Ishaq alayhi salam, who was the son of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Again, this is from Tariq. It's not like 
stamped and sealed that it has to be like this. This is what the scholars have mentioned. Regarding Dawud alayhi salam, again he was a Nabi. So every prophet is amazing, every prophet is great. But you find like some unique qualities amongst the prophets. From amongst all of the prophets, Dawud alayhi salam was quite significant. He had his own uh, individual specialities as well. Pure hearted, he was very courageous. He had a very strong sense of honor. He fasted frequently. He prayed in the night abundantly. An extremely beautiful voice. His voice, he was known for his voice. And another thing he was very, he was praised in regards to, his, he earned his own livelihood. You know, when, when you say like you put your sweat and blood into something, like he earned his own livelihood. He went out and worked. He, you know, he, he sweated for his own work. He went out of his way. He struggled hard and he earned his own livelihood. He made his money. He did not re re rely on the public treasury. He did not rely on the Baytul Mal. He did not rely on uh, donations or people funding him. Despite him being a prophet and also despite him being a king, he was both, right? He didn't rely on that. He went, and this is something the Prophet wasallam told us about him, that he never ever ate anything except that it was through his own efforts. Then he earned his salary, his livelihood. We'll be talking about that more later on. First of all, let's look at how the Quran has praised him. How does Quran speak about Dawud alayhi salam? So there are many verses in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about Prophet Dawud alayhi salam. One verse we have in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقَتَلَ دَاوُودُ جَالُوتَ Everybody's familiar with the story of David and Goliath. It's a biblical narration as well. We find it in the Quran as well. And we've heard about this when we were growing up, David and Goliath and the stories that went on amongst them. So this is also a Quranic story. So Allah mentions him there. Sorry, وَقَتَلَ دَاوُودُ جَالُوتَ When the battle did take place, at that time, Dawud alayhi salam, was young and we'll go into more detail of the story later on uh, however Allah says that Dawood salam was able to kill Jalut uh, Goliath and Allah granted him al-mulka wal-hikmata Allah granted him monarchy kingdom so made him a king wal-hikmah wisdom here means prophethood and nubuwa so Allah granted him both he made him the king of the Israelites and also he became the Nabi of Bani Israel as well and he taught him from that which he wanted him to know um, another verse of the Quran we find Surah Sabah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Allah says indeed we granted Dawood alayhi salam we bestowed him uh, from us our favor we favored him we bestowed upon him our favor and then Allah goes on to explain some of these favors. Number one, Ya Jibalu ma'ahu wa Allah addressed the mountains and said, O mountains, you echo and sing the praises of Allah with him. When Dawud alayhi salam would recite from the Zabur, the mountains would also recite with him as well. Wattair and birds as well. So the birds would come and they would also recite the Zabur and the mountains as well. And then Allah says, Wa'alanna lahul hadith. And we softened iron for him. So iron, can you imagine iron? So this is like metal. So imagine iron, I can put all my energy into it, right? It's not, nothing's gonna happen, so I don't break this. But for Dawood alayhi salam, iron, Allah says we softened it for him. So it was like wax, like plasticine, Play-Doh. Seen the kids play with Play-Doh? Okay, 
and you can mold it how you want. So this is how Allah made iron in the hands of Dawood. Allah is telling one of the favors Allah gave him was that the mountains would sing the praises of Allah and recite the Zabur with him. This is the Quran speaking. The birds would also recite the Zabur with him. And one of the other favors Allah gave to Dawood he could take iron and he could just mold it how he wanted. And what was the purpose of that? Anirmal sabighatin. Allah told him, Anirmal sabighatin. Dawood, this is your job from now on. I'm, I'm giving you a job. This is your contract. This is your employment. You're going to do this job and you're going to earn your own livelihood. What does Allah want him to do? Anirmal sabighatin. I want you to make coats of armor. You know armor? Coats of armor that they wear in the battle. Okay. So Allah told him, I'm making this soft for you. Why? So you, this can be your occupation. Your job now is you need to make this armor out of steel armor, coats of armor. But Allah's telling him, right, I want you to do it, but no cowboy doors, no cutting corners. Don't be a typical Asian, okay? Do it properly, basically. This is Quran, this, these are Quranic principles. When you do your work, whatever work it is, whatever work you're doing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be just when you're in the masjid. Or when you're doing something Islamic, it doesn't matter wherever you are at work. Okay, Dawood alayhi salam was already a prophet, he was already judging people. Okay, he already had his worship. This was out of that. This is his job, his occupation to earn his livelihood so he can get food onto the table. So, this is his job, and Allah's telling him number one, first of all, work, don't rely on benefits. Okay, don't rely on the state to provide for you. Don't just sit around and expect people to look after you and care for you. No, work, number one. This is a prophet being told this, and we'll go into the details of this in a moment. So, so uh, let me tell you the background of this first. So, the scholars of Tafsir mentioned that the background story to this was Dawud was the Nabi and he was the king. So he's a prophet and he's also a king as well. From time to time, what Dawud would do is he would disguise himself and take off his robe, take off his cloak, take off his, you know, king's clothing, and he would dress like a civilian, a normal person, and disguised in this manner, he would go out into the public. He'd just check up on people, see what everyone's up to, what are the public affairs, and then he'd pull someone to a side and see and, uh, and call him to a side, how are you doing? You okay? Yeah, this, that. And, and then after a bit of small talk, he'd say, what do you think about Dawood? What do you think about our king? What's your opinion in regards to him? So there he was trying to get some constructive criticism just to see how he was doing. Is there any area of improvement, of development? Is there any way he can grow further and become better? And every time he would go out and do this exercise and get feedback from people, he found that everybody always praised him. Everybody always had good things to say. Amazing person, very fair, very wise, very generous, always praying, um, upright individual, you know, got a lot of integrity. All of these things, praise, 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 praise. So the books of Tafsir mention on one occasion, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent two angels and they were disguised as humans. And when Dawud alayhi salam disguised himself and went into the people and he asked people regarding what do you think about Dawud, our king Dawud? And people said good things. So he came across these two people. They were angels he didn't realize at the time. And um, he asked them, what do you think? So they started off with praises as well. Amazing, brilliant person, best person we've ever come across. He's doing really well. Um, is there anything like where he can improve? No, perfect. He's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, there's one thing. And Dawud alayhi salam was all ears like, Okay, I've been waiting for this opportunity for someone to share with me something where I can improve and become better. 
So they said to him that he's a really good person. Only if he would earn his own livelihood instead of relying on the public treasury, that would make him an even better person. In that moment, Daud realized that these are not humans. These are angels. And this is a message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants me to work, to earn my own livelihood, not rely on the public treasury, despite him being a Nabi, despite him being a king. Okay, he was already busy, he was already occupied. But no, go, don't rely on that. Go and do something. So as a result of this, he turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, As a result of this, Allah says, and, and this is very relatable for a lot of people, especially if, you're, if, you, if you've got a background where, uh, for example, if you've been studying Islamic studies, for example, if someone like myself went to Darul Uloom, for example, what tends to happen with a lot of people, males and females, they graduate. And then a time comes when they feel like there's nothing we can do. Whereas you've been granted a lot, you can kind of undermine the Quran and the Hadith, unfortunately. A lot of people go through that because they've been studying. I mean, now the school education in the Islamic seminaries is much better than it used to be. Um, you know, the, the, it's, it's, it's mandatory to provide up to GCSE A-levels as well. And a lot of Darul Ulum students are actually also pursuing a university degree alongside the Islamic studies now as well. Things have changed drastically. Uh, from how they were before but if somebody decides not to pursue that and they only go one route or someone just didn't try hard at school they just didn't do well they just couldn't put their head down and they just mucked around all that time and then what happens is you kind of end up in a situation where you don't know what to do um where do i start what do i do or should i just rely you know i can go on job seekers it's easy it's an easy thing i'd rather go on that or i'd rather rely on so-and-so benefits so i can just fake this and make these papers here and sign these documents and i can get somebody to do this for me so it's an easy way however that is not what allah wants us to do and we find this clearly in the quran where allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling a nabi a prophet he was extremely busy okay he had a, such a huge role not only that he was the king Okay, but despite that, despite that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted him to go out and earn his own livelihood. And he went and he did. So what he's doing now is Allah's telling him to make these coats of armor. So he's making this armor. Now, this is interesting. So Allah's telling him. So another thing we learn from here that some people think I'm just going to do a side thing, side, a little side hustle, okay, a little side job. Okay, I'll just do a little thing. You know, it's not really important. Just making a few pennies here and there. No, even that's, you've been told, like, if you do it, do it properly. Yes, it could be a side thing, but just don't do it for the sake of it. Okay, you find purpose in what you're doing. Make it meaningful. It should be fulfilling for you. This is what Quran is saying. You do it properly. Professionalism and precision in everything you do. This is what Quran is telling us because Allah says to him, Dawood, I want you to make body armor. And then he says, sardi means that measure the links very well. Precision, Allah says, precision and professionalism in your work. What did he mean? So, you know, body armor, chain armor. What happens in chain armor? You've got chain having you, and you've got these links and they go into each other. Yeah, everybody's seen chain armor, right? Now, what Allah is saying to him is, Dawood, I don't want you to make the chains like one's big, one's small, one's fat, one's thin. No, no, no. 
I want you, this should be perfectly aligned. Measure each chain, each link, to ensure that they're all the same size, they're the same thickness, and do it so precisely and professionally that they all, otherwise what's gonna happen? They're gonna become loose. It's gonna be a cowboy job. You're going to become a typical Asian, okay, who just messes things up. Don't do that. What is being said here is Precision, measure properly and do it professionally. And then after this, Allah says, Then carry out good deeds. Almost he's trying to say that your earning of livelihood, if it's done properly, that will enable you to do good deeds. And if you mess up there, then you'll mess up here as well. We switch it the other way around. So the guys at work, I'm reading Quran. Okay, the guys at work goes for a salah break, okay, and comes like one hour later and uses salah as an excuse to miss work. Okay, and this is the thing the Prophet has told you've not found purpose in what you're doing, your intentions are not there, you don't know why you're doing it. The Prophet has said, to earn a livelihood is an obligation after the other obligations. So you've got salah, you've got fasting, you've got hajj, you've got zakat. They're followed, right? They're fara'id. The Prophet said, earning a livelihood is also one of the fara'id upon you. It's fard. You have to. So like you give importance to salah, to zakat, to fasting, to hajj. This is, comes next in line also. So when you go out to earn, the Prophet says, the person who goes out in the morning to earn a halal livelihood, by the time you come home in the evening, all your sins have been forgiven. Every sin of yours is wiped away. So if that, I mean, that should be enough for you to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, you might not, you know, you do it for the sake of Allah, because Allah wants you to earn a livelihood. Quran says, We have made the day to earn a livelihood. That's your task. That's your job. That's very natural from the beginning of time. The Prophet وسلم, and you know, I think a lot of times, especially those who've grown up in sort of Islamic environments, we kind of been programmed in the way to think money is bad or to earn a livelihood is a bad thing. This is the kind of mentality sometimes we have. So then you kind of dislike people who earn money and you stay away from it for yourself and just say, I don't really want to get in involved in this kind of stuff. And then, but that's so far from reality because, I mean, how would you survive in the world? Like just now we've heard um, the energy prices will be going up. How much? How much percent? Huh? 60%. Okay, that's, it's already very high. Imagine, right? Can you imagine the impact it's going to have on people? Right? Now, we have to live. We have to use electricity. We have to use gas. We need these energy services. And alongside that, there's everything else that goes with it. You've got children. You've got a wife you're responsible for. You've got a house to pay. You've got your rent or your mortgage to pay, and then you've got your fuel which increased, and you've got your own necessities. If your children are in education, then it's paying for them. So if a person doesn't sort this area out, it's going to have an impact somewhere. And this is what's causing breakups in marriages. It's causing disputes within the family. It's causing people to feel depressed. And it always comes down to this. So 
it's not necessarily a bad thing. Look, even the Prophet is being told to do it properly. Once you do that properly, and do you know what some of the Tafasir mentioned? That each armor, he was charging 4,000 dirham for one piece. That's a very heavy price. But he was providing and giving value for it. So he could charge that amount. If a person's not doing it properly, then he couldn't. But there was value in there. And, uh, and, and we find that Dawud alayhi salam uh, went on to do this. And then Allah says to him, so th this verse is beautiful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَنِعْمَلْ سَابِغَاتٍ وَقَدِّرْ فِي السَّرْدِ وَعْمَلُوا صَالِحَا إِنِّي بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ The old Dawood, make the coats of armor and uh, measure the links really well and carry out good deeds I am observant with what you're doing. Allah says, I'm watching you, don't worry. I'm watching you. I'm with you. I'm overlooking you. So this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how he's speaking to Dawood alayhi salam. So this is something, uh, there was one of the great scholars was mentioning that he gave a few advices. And one of the advices he gave, somebody asked one of the great scholars of hadith is, how did you reach to the level that you reached? How did you reach to where you reach now? And he said, there's four things that I did. I'm just going to share with you one of them. I think it's relevant. So one of the things he mentioned was, he said, I, um, how, how, how would I phrase this? I became independent of everybody. I became independent of everybody. I negated everybody else. I didn't, and I put my trust and I depended only on Allah because He's the independent. And I, I think this is a huge lesson where we live our lives having such high expectation from other people. And that's killing us, that's damaging us, that's damaging our relationships, that's damaging us from inside because we're always feeling upset, we're always feeling broken, we're always feeling shattered, we're always feeling let down. But you, we are setting those expectations. We're setting the bar, bar too high. You know, a, a, a couple get married, right? This is what happens. A, a, a boy and a girl are getting married, right? And they've got really high expectations from each other. And most of the time, they can't meet the expectations. And then marriages are breaking. Or then they're constantly fighting and bickering. If you just lower your expectations from each other and stop expecting people to do things for you or be something for you, and had your trust in Allah and found whatever you wanted within you. If somebody's broken already, somebody's hurt, somebody's been through a traumatic experience, whatever it may be, everyone's had some kind of a past and everyone's had difficulties. If you were growing up and you, for example, didn't get love from your parents, for example, or you grew up in a family where you had a single parent, but there was a broken home or whatever it could be, that's, that's, that's an issue. We understand that that's your personal challenge which you should be working on and trying to overcome. Going into a marriage now and expecting your wife to fill that gap that's in your hole, you're expecting too much. You're expecting somebody, okay, who's also the same as you getting married to kind of mother you, to father you, to do everything else for you. And this is what's happening. Similarly, on the other side, if a girl has bro uh, grown up, for example, she's had a traumatic experience in the past, and then she's expecting her husband to be not just the husband, but everything else as well. We're having too much high expectations from each other. And this is why our relationships are really getting out of control. 
And we really need to learn to become independent. Trust Allah and we've got our own issues. Learn to deal with them. Learn to deal with them and not expect other people to make you feel a certain way. So over here as well, Dawud is being told, become independent. Become independent. Don't rely. You stand upon your two feet and you can do it. Allah has made every individual capable of doing it. The difference is just between you and you. That's it. You can do it and you can't do it. Both of them are true. You can do it. Like I, I say, I can do it. I can't do it. Both are true. Aren't they? Yeah. If you want to do it, just go and do it. I can. I can't. Okay, don't do it. You can't as well. It's up to you. You're, it's you who's limiting yourself. So over here we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam praised him that Dawud alayhi salam always earned his own livelihood. So that's one example. Um, another example uh, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Wadkur abdana Dawud al-Aid, innahu awwab. Inna sakharna al-jibala ma'ahu yusabihna bil-ashiyi wal-ishraq. والطير محصورة كل له أواب وشددنا ملكه وآتيناه الحكمة وفصل الخطاب. Allah tells the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and remember our slave Dawood who was very resourceful, very powerful, very strong. إنه أواب indeed he was obedient. We committed the mountains to praise Allah with him in the evening and at sunrise. So Allah says we committed the mountains that you mountains whenever Dawood recites the Zabur I want you to recite it as well. And all the birds would flocking together and they would uh, gather and they would also sing They were all obedient to him. The birds, all of the birds would just flock together and recite the Zabur with him. Allah says we strengthen his kingdom. We granted him wisdom meaning prophethood and eloquent speech. Um, so over here again we find how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises him. The scholars have also mentioned that Dawud was given a very beautiful voice. So beautiful that nobody has been given a voice similar to that. Some of the books have gone on far, as far as to say that the animals would come and just, they'd become motionless. They would come and they would listen to his recitation. They would become motionless. Some of them would even starve and die out of starvation or thirst because they would, they would get so much enjoyment in listening to the voice. These are animals. In the voice of Dawud they would even forget themselves and they would just become motionless and just remain there. And they would just listen and enjoy being in his company. The Prophet that was the Quran. The Prophet praises Dawud on many occasions. Beautiful hadith we find from Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. The Prophet says, The most beloved salah in the sight of Allah is the salah of Dawud the prayer. You know, we do prayer. So the most beloved prayer was the prayer of Dawud. The most beloved fast in the sight of Allah was the fast of Dawud. Very interesting because Salat and Saum, these are the two most important acts of worship that we recognize, don't we? Fasting and prayer. So the Prophet said, the best fast is the fast of Dawud. The best prayer is the prayer of Dawud. Then he goes into detail. You might be wondering what kind of fast and what kind of prayer was that? 
So he goes on to explain, وَكَانَ يَنَامُ نِسْفَ اللَّيْلِ وَيَقُومُ ثُلُثَهُ وَيَنَامُ سُدُسَهُ So this is how his prayer was, meaning his night prayer, the optional night prayer. How would he pray? So half of the night he would sleep. So he'd go to sleep, half the night he would sleep. And then he would pray for one third of the night. One third of the night he would pray. How much is left? Little muffs here. Huh? Half of the night, half of the night, and, and sometimes do you think the Prophet ﷺ didn't go to any school? Right? He's talking about, he's talking about fractions here. Right? He didn't go to any school. And he was the most intelligent, the most knowledgeable person that has walked the surface of this earth. Because Allah taught him. And, and look what he's saying. So he would sleep half the night, right? And then he would pray Qiyam for one third. Everyone's confused. Anyway, I, I'll let you do that, the calculations, inshallah. But the hadith goes on to say, And then he would sleep for one-sixth. Um, okay? So, And that was his salah. You, you can think of that when you go home now. Um, the fast, how would he fast? This was his fast. One day he would fast, so... Like, say, today's Tuesday. So Tuesday he would fast. Wednesday he wouldn't fast. Thursday he would fast. Friday he wouldn't fast. Saturday fast. Sunday no fast. Monday fast. Tuesday no fast. Wednesday fast. Thursday no fast. This is how he, he did it throughout. So one day fasting. The next day no fasting. One day fasting. Next day no fasting. What do we call this? Yeah, we, we hear about this now. Every, everyone's talking about it, okay? Every, where, everywhere you look, everyone's talking about intermittent fasting. This was the fast, most beloved fast to Dawud alayhi salam. It's in the hadith already, okay? Everyone gets excited about these things now. But we don't realize that in our tradition, we have it, we have it all. But we don't take it. And what I'm worried about is not other people, they, they're taking these things. And they're doing it with a lot of passion. The only thing is they don't have iman. So, and it's, I, I don't see it being far. Because they seem to have a lot of zeal to do these things. We do these things superficially as a ritual robotically as a transaction okay they're doing it for transformation or we should be doing it for transformation to bring about change to become closer to Allah to progress to grow to be, be, become better individuals so yes alhamdulillah we have iman so there's no comparison at all you cannot compare the weakest Muslim okay because he has la ilaha illallah however what I am saying is I think Day by day, you're hearing more and more people wanting to discover and learn and that zeal and that passion is going to bring about a change. Okay, it will. It can see, we can see it clearly because the intentions are good. They want to become better. They want to develop. They want the world to become better. Okay, we have it all. We've got everything. There's nothing we don't have. Everything's been given to us, right? It's just a matter of appreciating it and looking at it with a closer lens without any you know cultural baggage that we have and sometimes we apply all of these things which make it difficult um, so the most beloved salah is the salah of Dawud the most beloved fast is the fast of Dawud 
uh, and so this is the fast one day he would fast and that's really hard if you fast every day that's very easy you might think how is fasting every day easy why is it easy hmm? you do it constantly so what happens your body gets used to it, it becomes a habit it, it's fine when we fast in Ramadan so when you fast it the first day is hard second day is okay then it becomes normal now after Ramadan, the day after Eid, in the morning, when you try to have your breakfast, doesn't it feel really wrong? Yeah? Every time you eat, it just feels wrong. Like you actually don't want to eat at times. Because like first Ramadan, you, you were like dying out of thirst. Ramadan's finished and now you want to fast. Because you got used to it. It's, it's as simple as that. And this was the idea why the Prophet would fast most of Sha'ban the month before. He would fast most of that month, getting himself ready and prepared. Just so that when Ramadan comes, you're not kind of getting used to that. You can focus on other things because Ramadan is not just about staying hungry. That was never the purpose. That we, this is what, now, now look at this, we can understand from here. For most of us, Ramadan is about staying hungry. That's what it's about. That's my link with Ramadan. That's what we associate. When we think about Ramadan, we think about Okay, from this time to this time, I can't eat. Is that what Ramadan is about? Okay, and you've got other people in the world who are doing this kind of exercise of fasting, but they're not doing it to stay hungry. They've got a purpose. They've got a, they've got a goal. They want to achieve something. They're achieving it as well. So they're going through intermittent fasting and they're achieving their goals. Well, we've been told already that Allah's telling us clearly, I've ordained fasting upon you and this is what I want you to achieve. Okay, but our link with our religion is just transactional. Okay, I'm going to stay hungry. Allah's going to give me a reward. I'm going to stay hungry. Allah's going to give me a reward. Okay, I'm going to get stay hungry so that I don't get punished on the day of judgment. Why did you not fast? So this is we've just kept it like this kind of a relation. We, we need to develop. We need to see in a different way and uh, improve inshallah. So another hadith mentions uh, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there was a sahabi of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam called Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu. And he had a really beautiful voice. One night, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu anhu, he was praying the night prayer, tahajjud, qiyam al-layl, all alone. So he's praying and he's praying loudly. And you can, when you're individually, you can pray loudly as well. Uh, even if you're praying your fard salah or any salah, as long as it's not dhahr and asr, when you're praying individually by yourself, you can pray loud. So you should pray loud. Why not? Okay. So he's doing his salah and he was praying loudly um, in an audible voice. The Prophet ﷺ was passing by and he noticed one of his companions is performing salah. So the Prophet ﷺ stood at a distance and he listened. I imagine that the Prophet ﷺ listening to your Quran. Okay, so he just stood there and he listened and he listened and he listened and then he went away. The following day when he saw him, he says, Abu Musa, let me tell you something. There's mention of Dawud alayhi salam. Oh Abu Musa, you've been given a voice like the voice of Dawud alayhi salam. Your voice is so beautiful. Uh, you, and he said, your voice is like Dawud alayhi salam. And Abu Musa al-Ash'ari said, O Prophet of Allah, I didn't realize you were listening. Had I known you were listening, I would have read in a more beautiful voice. Because to please the Prophet of Allah is to please Allah. 
Okay, so bringing pleasure and happiness to the Prophet Allah would become happy. Oh Prophet of Allah, had I known you were there, I would have read in a more beautiful, that was, that was like my basic tune. I've got better tunes than that as well. So, Utita Mizmaram Min Mazamiri Ali Dawood. Hadith of Sahih Muslim, the Prophet said, Kana Dawood A'bad al-Bashar. Dawood alayhi salam was amongst the most obedient slaves of Allah. So he was intense in his ibadah, did a lot of ibadah and worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are some of the virtues mentioned regarding Dawood alayhi salam. We see how he combined both the world and the hereafter and he served Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he served mankind as well. Now Dawood alayhi salam, like I told you earlier, he was a king, he was a ruler and he was somebody who fought in the path of Allah as well. And he was responsible for the killing of Jalut and Goliath. So the story is mentioned in detail again in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah, where we find Allah says, Alam tara ilal bani Israel. Do you not see this group of people, this army from the Bani Israel who are after Musa alayhi salam. So Musa alayhi salam has, time has gone. We've already spoken about that. And at that time, what happened was they wanted to get into Baytul Maqdis. At that time, Baytul Maqdis was occupied by these tyrants. And they said to the Prophet at the time, the Prophet at the time was Shamweel alayhi salam. Haven't we spoken about him already in one of the sessions? No? Shamweel? Was that one of the sessions? Anybody remember? I, I can't remember. Um, so the Prophet at the time was Prophet Shamweel alayhi salam. Uh, in, in English, we say Samuel. Okay, um, his name is not directly mentioned in the Quran, but this reference the scholars of Tafsir mentioned is referring to Shamweel or Samuel. Most of us might have not heard about this Nabi before, but he was one of the prophets of Bani Israel. Alayhi salam. So the Bani Israel came to the Prophet who was Shamweel alayhi salam when they realized they needed to go in battle to fight Goliath and his army, Jalut. So they came to the Prophet and they said, Oh Prophet of Allah, we need a king. Then all these people saying, we need like Imam Mahdi, we need Salahuddin Ayyubi, we need a leader, we need a Khalifa. You know, people are coming out with these kind of slogans. Like, we need a ruler. Okay, so this is the kind of thing that they said, the Bani Israel, they said, we need a king, we need a ruler, we need somebody to lead the army in battle. So the Prophet knew them very well. He knew his people. He said, Because guys, I know you lot very well. I think if you are ordained to fight and Allah instructs you to go and fight in the battle, I, I think you guys are going to back out. You're not going to fight. What if you decide not to fight? I can pray to Allah. He can appoint you a leader, a general for the army, a king. And when he tells you, come on, let's go in battle. What if you turn your backs? I know you lot very well. And you, I, I've known you to do this before and you probably do it again. So I don't think asking for a leader is the right thing to do. Sort yourselves out first. You're saying I want to go in battle, you know, <laughs> battle with your duvet first and come for Fajr. Then, then talk about, you know, going to battle and fights. So they said, no, no, don't worry. What do you think of us? He said, this is what they said. What do you think of us? You think we're not going to fight? We've been exiled from our homes. Look at the state we're in. Okay, maybe people say, oh, our mothers are being raped. Okay, our children are being kidnapped. Okay, our brothers and sisters are being killed. And I, I'm going to go and do this and I'm going to do that. Do what Allah told you to do first over here. Okay, and then, you know, things will happen. So people get really excited. And this is what the, the, these people said as well. Look at our condition. 
okay? We've been exiled from our homes and uh, look at where we are. And فَلَمَّا كُتِبَ عَلَيْهِمُ الْقِتَالِ Allah says when Allah did eventually tell them, okay, now it's time for you to go into battle. You ask for it, okay? It's time for you to go into battle. Quran says, تَوَلَّوْا إِلَّا قَلِيلًا مِّنْهُمْ Most of them turned their backs. Most of them didn't go forward. إِلَّا قَلِيلٌ Just a few of them actually went and participated. وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِالظَّالِمِينَ And Allah knows the wrongdoers really well. The story continues. وَقَالَ لَهُمْ نَبِيُّهُمْ Then Prophet said to them, إِنَّ اللَّهَ قَدْ بَعَثَ لَكُمْ طَالُوتَ مَلِكًا I prayed to Allah. You asked me to ask Allah. I've put your request in. And your request has been accepted. And Allah has appointed Talut, who was one of the people from Bani Israel. Talut is going to be the king. Right? You wanted it, you asked for it, you've got it. Talut. In English, we call him Saul. S-A-U-L. Saul. King Saul. That's the biblical name. And in Quran, he is known as Talut. So Talut is going to be your king. Immediately they objected to the Prophet. O Prophet Shamil, how can he be a prophet? So they, they, they are disagreeing with Allah's decision and the Prophet's instruction. Openly they're saying that how can he be a prophet? We don't accept him. Because, and look at the reasoning they give. We are more deserving to be the king than he is. Who, who made him the king? Allah made him the king, I told you. And this is coming through the Prophet, but very openly, they were very rude. Very, very rude. And it's, it's open blasphemy. And they, they complained what they said, This was their criticism. He, he's not that wealthy. He doesn't have that much wealth. We've got more wealth than he has. How can he be the king? How can he be the ruler? So the Prophet responded to them by saying, Number one, Allah selected him over you. If you want to know who chose him, Allah chose him, Allah didn't choose you. Number one. And Allah has increased him in knowledge and in strength. He's more stronger than you guys are. And he has more knowledge of the battle and how to strategize in the battle better than you. And this is what Allah is telling us. That money, okay, doesn't talk. People say money talks. Okay. To be a ruler, to be a king, you don't have to get the wealthiest person. Yet you get the person who knows what to do, who has the skill set, who understands the strategy and how to go about doing what you need to, uh, who has basic knowledge of the field. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. He's got the strength to carry out the work and to be a leader. He's got leadership skills. And number two, he has the knowledge and understanding. Yeah, he might not be as wealthy as you are, but that's not the criteria here. And Allah gives and grants kingdom to whoever he wishes. And Allah is very expansive in his knowledge. And then the story continues. So over here we find that they then say that, you know, like how do we know that Allah chose him, Allah selected him? How do we know that? You're telling us. Right? So they, they don't have any trust on the Prophet whatsoever. How do we know that Allah actually, you're telling us that Allah told him, how do we know that? Give us proof, fine. We accept what you're saying, but give us proof. If you prove to us that Allah chose him, then we'll accept it. Otherwise, we're not going to accept this is not, this, this is their normal conversation with their prophets. So the prophet said, okay, if this is how you want it to be, this is how it will be. Okay, the sign that Allah chose him 
is the Tabut, which is the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was a, a, a treasure chest which held within it um, the stuff of Musa alayhi salam and some parts the original Torah and the turban of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam or maybe Harun alayhi salam different narrations have been mentioned these few relics sacred relics were inside this box which is called the Tabut biblical term well English term is the Ark of the Covenant I don't know what the actual biblical term is but it's called the Ark of Covenant in English we call it Tabut from the Quran and whenever Bani Israel would have this they would gain victory in battle through the intercession of this because it had sacred relics in there so they would carry it around they had the actual original stuff of Musa salam, and parts of the original Torah so if they had this in battle, they would become victorious. Now what had happened? Why were the Bani Israel facing defeat? Because the Tabut had been stolen from them. It had been taken away from them. So the Prophet said to the Bani Israel, Quran says that the sign that Allah has chosen Talud to be your ruler is that angels will return the Tabut to King Talud. And that will be a sign to show that he has been selected as the leader. And this actually happened. The angels came and they carried the Tabut and they brought it to Talut, King Talut. So then they recognized, oh, okay, now, now we understand. It's like Musa salam took them up to the mountain to hear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala conversing with them. And what did they say? Uh, we can hear him, but how do we know it's him? We want to see him. Arina Allah jaharatan. Show Allah to us. We can't just make, a, make us hear him. We want to see him. Okay, so this is the same kind of uh, behavior that they've got over here now this happens and then now they understand okay that's fine they agree let's go it's time for battle so Quran says so Talut is at the front of the army with him is Prophet Shamil alayhi salam behind other Bani Israel now Talut makes an announcement said look you're going to fight in the path of Allah Allah's going to test you it's not going to be easy. If somebody says that I am on the truth and I'm going to work for the sake of Allah, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be ups and downs. That's normal. If you're not ready to face the ups and downs, then sit down at home. Because this is how it works. Somebody came to the Prophet and they said, Oh Prophet of Allah, I love you. The Prophet said, Be careful with what you're saying. Don't just say things if you don't mean it. Do you really mean it? Do you really mean it? He said, no problem. Yes, I love you. He said, no, no, think, think before you speak. Do you mean what you are saying? He says, oh, Prophet of Allah, yes, I mean what I say. I mean it. I really do love you, O Prophet of Allah. Prophet Sallallahu said, okay, in that case, be prepared because challenges and calamities will come down to you like a strong downpour of rain. Tijfafan, the hadith mentions. Because anybody who stands up for the truth, is tested. Allah says in the Quran, Alif Nas Do you people, Allah says, do you people think you and you won't be tested? Don't you know what happened to the people before you? Quran says that they were tested. Hunger will come to you, poverty will come to you, you'll be shaken, Allah says. And the people of the past they were shaken so much that they started saying 
When is the help of Allah going to come? Hatta yaqul al-Rasul, walladhina amanu ma'ahu, even people who are close to the messenger and pious God-fearing people, even they started thinking like, we know the help of Allah is going to come, but when is it going to come now? That's, they were shaken to the core. So if you're really serious in what you stand for and you really believe in it, it's not going to be an easy ride. Because when you go to the store and you buy a watermelon, okay, what do you do? Well, you might not do it, younger ones might not do it, but the elders, what do they do when they get a watermelon? Okay, they do some crazy thing on it and they start shaking it and tapping it in a certain way. Somehow they know if it's right or wrong. Okay, if it's the right, if it's right or how ripe it is, they're supposed to get these feelings in their fingertips at that time to know, is this the right one or not? So this is exactly what happens. You want to be selected as one of Allah's special fruits? Okay, well, Allah's gonna, you know, He's gonna shake you up a little bit and He's gonna test you to see how, are you really serious about it? Or were you just doing it for name? Were you just doing it for the people? Were you just doing it because you felt like it at that time? Was it, were you doing it because you had the motivation at that time? Motivation will not always be there. Remember this. A lot of people only live on motivate. When you feel like doing something, you'll do it. When you don't feel like it, you won't do it. That's not how life works. That's not how religion works. Motivation comes and goes. We can't live on that. We have to live on discipline. Okay? Discipline is we do the right thing at the right time. Whether you feel like doing it, whether you don't feel like doing it. If I'm always waiting for the right time, for the right feeling, for the right moment, that's never going to come. Okay, some, for some of us, it might never, never come. Okay, so this is when Allah tests you. That were you just doing it for the buzz? Or were you serious about it? Okay, you, and, and it's strange. Sometimes you start doing good and then things start going wrong. And people start saying, oh, it's because, it's because you did this. It's because you started growing a beard. That's why you got rejected in the interview. No, it's not because of that. How many people with at that time your brain will not think how many people with beards have got senior roles in so many companies okay but immediately you start thinking negatively thinking oh yeah it's because of that you don't realize that's a test from allah and he wants you to become better and stronger and open more opportunities for you but if you give up already a person's failed at the first hurdle your own people closest to you they will challenge you they will say things to you they will put remarks and this is how we find Quran speaks about this. When the people of Bani Israel were told, don't go fishing on a Saturday, what happens? Allah tested them. The whole week, there's hardly any fishes coming in, this, in the sea. And then on a Saturday, they can see like big fishes. But this was the test, don't fish. But they failed. What they did was they put all these nets there. So by the end of Saturday, they came into the nets. On Sunday morning, they pulled them out. And they thought they were clever. We didn't fish. Well, you, you kind of did a loophole and tried to mess around with Allah's system. You can't fool, can fool people. You can't fool Allah. And Allah became very angry with them. So, لا تعدو في السبت, Allah told them. So, similarly over here as well, the Bani Israel are going, they're going into battle. You wanted it, you asked for this battle. You said, appoint a ruler. Allah's given. Look, he, he told them very clearly. He told them what the test is as well. Okay, this is so, it's like everything's been lined clearly highlighted in Allah so he makes an announcement O Bani Israel O my army Allah is going to test you with a river very soon a river is going to come right and the test is simple don't drink the water from the river whoever drinks the water is going to fail that's it you're a loser you've lost it and if you don't drink from the river you've passed and if you're really thirsty okay because a human need 
which is not going to be overlooked. The religion will never ever tell you to do something that goes against your basic human needs. Allah will never burden a soul with more than you can bear. Never. Allah will never make you do anything beyond your capacity. Remember this verse of the Quran. Very important to understand because this is what's shaking a lot of people up in their faith today. Because we're getting negative thoughts about Allah, about our religion. How can Quran tell us to do this? How can the Hadith say this? How can we be expected? It's a principle. Allah will never burden you with that which is beyond your capacity. So if Allah's told you to do something, that means you can do it. And if you couldn't do it, Allah would have never told you to do it. So he told them, don't drink from the river. That's the test. So they already know. It's not, it's not like a surprise test, but it just comes up all of a sudden. They were told what it was. The river coming up, don't drink from it. If you become extremely thirsty, you're allowed to drink a handful. You, you put your hand in, one handful, that's it. Understood? Yeah, we understand. Right, let's go. So they're marching, they're going. They're going for it now. You know, some people go on these protests and these rallies and demos. Free, free Palestine, free, free Palestine. They, they're going on it. They're going for it, right? Even they will be tested as well. If you're really sincere about free, free Palestine, when the Mu'addin says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, when it's Dhuhr time, and you're just saying free, free Palestine over there, that's not going to free Palestine, is it? If you're going to miss your Dhuhr. So there'll be people standing in the town center, screaming free, free Palestine. Dhuhr time will come and then it will go. That was their test. To see if you're really serious in what you're saying, then you have to be congruent. There has to be a match between what you believe in and what you believe, what you're saying you stand for. If you really stand for freeing Palestine, well, that's a masjid. That's based on Islam. It's based on what Allah wants. And the primary thing Allah's going to ask you on the day of judgment, even before he asks you about Palestine, is your salah. And if you can't do that, then you're screaming on the streets there. He's not going to benefit you. I'm not saying don't do that, but get your priorities right. So exactly over here as well, these guys are marching away. They're going for this battle. They asked for it. They wanted, to, they wanted a leader to fight. But when the test came, what happens? In Allah So now what happens? Quran says, فَشَرِبُوا مِنْهُ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا مِنْهُمْ When they came to the water, Quran says, most of them ended up drinking from it. Only a few people didn't drink. There were 70,000 people in the army. How many people didn't drink? The Prophet ﷺ talks about this. He says the number of people that stood with Talut and Prophet Shammil on that day were the same number of people that stood with me in the Battle of Badr. This is a strong resemblance. I mean, talking about Badr and then this army, it's amazing. How many were there in Badr? 313. So from 70,000, only 313 people passed the test. They didn't drink from the water. And now it was up to those 313 now to go and gain victory and fight the giant Goliath and his army. Okay. And immediately, this is the immediate result of disobeying Allah. You know, a lot of people say, I feel tired, I feel lethargic. Especially when you open the Quran, you start yawning, you start feeling tired. Otherwise, you're fine. Netflix, you're fine. Browsing Facebook, social, social media, Instagram, you're fine. You can, 
you know, flick on Netflix for hours, just not even watching anything, just thinking, what shall I watch, okay? You can carry on for ages, okay? We can just browse, you know, or check emails that are not even important. Let's see what's in junk now, if there's anything there. Maybe someone sent something important there. Then we're fine. But when, it, when somebody says, okay, listen to a lecture, or open the Quran and read, or do two rakat, then our body starts to feel really heavy all of a sudden, and we feel tired. Um, this is what we learn from this verse over here is the immediate result of disobeying Allah is a person feels lethargic spiritually. Because these people who drank the water, Quran says that they started saying, uh, what, what's the verse? Um, yeah. قَالُوا لَا طَاقَتَنَا الْيَوْمَ بِجَالُوتَ وَجُنُودِ They said today we don't have any energy to fight Goliath. We've lost, we feel lethargic. We have no energy, just feeling really like dead, not feeling it. Okay, so this is what Quran tells us. However, the people that didn't drink the water, now they've drunk the water, they should be energized. They should be fresh as anything. They should be like up and live and kicking and, and ready to go because they've had, like if you're in a battle and it's scorching heat and you've been marching for days on end, yeah, you've had water, you should be fresh. But because that went against the command of Allah, they broke a rule. The result of it was they started feeling lethargic and they spiritually felt dead. Whereas the people who didn't drink from there, what was driving them? It wasn't the water. What was driving them was their inner the purpose. They had the purpose. And this is what made them feel fulfilled. They said, those people who knew why they were there, they weren't just doing it just to be part of the team or because he's there, she's there, I'm going to be there as well. Or everyone else is going, let me go along. Or people will get to know that I'm also part of it. No, they were there for a good reason. It was their, their reason was within. What was their reason within? It wasn't out. We, we outsource all of our, our whole life is outsourced to other people because of him, because of her, because of this, because of that. When are you going to start living because of yourself? Do some, be yourself. They had something within. What did it say? They had something within them. And that was, their purpose was greater. Their purpose was, they wanted to do, they took part in this battle so that they could show their face to Allah on the Day of Judgment. That's why they were doing it. Not to show their faces to anybody else. They didn't want to be on Insta. They didn't want to be on, you know, social media. So everybody knows that I was part of this charity. And put your face at the front. Like, it was me. I did it. No, they were doing it. The people who wanted to do that, they failed even before they got there. The people that were serious, you know what they said? They said this, And this is what you call real power, real energy, real focus, which comes from within. Quran says that they said, there's only 313 of them. You know what they said? Many a times, a small group of people have overpowered large armies with the help of Allah. So the, the large army of Goliath, okay, did not put them off. It did not scare them. It did not shake them whatsoever. They, did, they were looking at that. They, were, they said, look, they were so energized because they did the right thing at the right time. They said, that many a times it's happened, right? Look at the positivity here. Many a times it's happened 
where small, tiny groups of people have overpowered large armies. And today the same is going to happen. This is the conviction that they went with. Wallahu ma'asabirin, and Allah is the one with the people that persevere. And then they started to go. And as they went, and so most of the people have been left behind, 313 people go ahead. What's the dua that they make? They made the dua, Rabbana afrid alayna sabra. Uh, this dua you always hear this is where it's from this particular story that oh Allah pour please pour perseverance upon us and make our feet steadfast like don't make us like them people who turn back and help us against the uh, the infidels that are in front of us Quran says they were uh, the the enemy were given defeat by the power of Allah. And Dawood killed Jalut. And as a result of this, Allah granted him kingdom. So now instead of Talut being the king of the Israelites, Dawood becomes the king of the Israelites now. And Walhikmata, and Allah made him a prophet as well. So he's become a king and he's become prophet Dawood and Allah granted him knowledge. Now the following verse is very powerful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَوْلَا دَفْعُ اللَّهِ النَّاسَ بَعْدَهُمْ بِبَعْدِ لَفَسَدَتِ الْأَرْضِ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ ذُفَضٍ عَلَى الْعَالَمِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains the concept of jihad. You know, there's a lot of, um, it's become very controversial. A lot of confusion and a lot of twisting and trying to kind of, you know, it's a very twisted kind of uh, version of what jihad actually means. And very beautifully, Quran mentions it here in a very beautiful way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that had Allah not had a system in the world where he used a certain group of people to remove another group of people, if Allah didn't have this system in the world, then Allah says the monasteries, these are non-Muslim places of worship being mentioned in the Quran, monasteries, churches, synagogues, and masjids, all where Allah is remembered, they would have all been demolished. So this system Allah has in the world is, is like, we can understand it like cancer. If somebody has cancer, May Allah protect us all. May Allah grant afi and shifa to all those who are going through difficulty. If, 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 some, if there is cancer, diagnosed with cancer, somebody is diagnosed with cancer in a certain area of the body and it's not treated, it's not seen to, what happens? Spreads. And then? Spreads even more. Then? Okay. So what do you need to do? You need to get it treated. You need to get to the bottom of it. You need to get to the root. If that requires at times to remove even a limb, okay, everyone will agree it's better to remove a limb than to lose a life. Otherwise, a person will be, will just, will be nothing. Will be lasting a few days and it's, it's the end. So similarly, these, this is the purpose of being in the world, to mention the name of Allah. And which all these religions believe, the divine heavenly religions all believe to be doing that. Of course, we believe Islam is the final and it's the true religion. But Quran has given space over here that 
churches, synagogues, monasteries, masjids. Okay, none of them should be demolished. You know, if someone's choosing to worship, that's fine. We invite them, but if they want to worship in their way, Quran tells us that these should be preserved. So Allah is telling us that if there are certain people, imagine there's a fire somewhere. Imagine there's a fire, it's burning. It's burning houses down, people down. And the, the, the fire brigade is now trying to get to that place. However, blocking the road, there's a group of people that have stood there and they've just decided to be a nuisance. So we're not going to let the fire brigade pass. The fire can burn, people can die. We're not going to let you guys pass. What will you do? You'll tell them nicely first, move out of the way. Then you'll give them a bit of a threat. Look, if you don't move, this is what's going to happen. And eventually, if they are stubborn and if they don't move, move out of the way, what will you have to do? You'll have to use force and move them out of the way. Exactly in the same way, Quran is explaining to us that if the world is burning, running towards the fire of Jahannam, and running away from Allah and doing things which are criminal activities, which displease and anger Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The simple thing you would do is go to these people and remind them in a really nice way, very beautiful way. Islam has never spread by the sword. There is no force over here whatsoever. You will tell them very, very nicely and you will remind them. Okay. And if they don't want to accept, then the next step would be to say, and this is I'm talking about if you're living in under Muslim rule. I'm not talking about doing this in the UK. If you were, if, if there were, there was a place, a country or a city or an area that was conquered by Muslims. Okay. And the people that were there, you'd present Islam to them. They don't want to accept Islam. Well, if it's going to be now an Islamic country, they've got a choice to live under you, have the same rights that you have. They will just pay a monthly jizya, like a tax. They will pay this monthly amount, a yearly amount, sorry. And they have, they are free. They can worship in their churches, in their synagogues. They can carry on living their lives. You will respect them. They will respect you. They will have rights. You will have rights. However, if there's a group of people that come in between and stop you and prevent you from carrying out your deeds, carrying out your prayers, carrying out your worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, becoming a nuisance and standing in the way, then again, you remind them. And if they don't move out of the way, then this small group of people who are criminals and who are causing a lot of harm and a lot of killing is happening and bloodshed is happening because of these individuals. If they, it's like a, this is like a cancer now. And if you don't remove this cancer, what's going to happen? It's going to spread. And Quran is saying it will spread so badly that masjids, churches, monasteries, synagogues, they'll all get demolished as well. Whereas Islam has never told us to do that. So the whole reason that this system is there where Allah has appointed some people to get rid of some people is for the establishment of life, of civilization, of these places of worship to remain uh, operational. So that was another incident of Dawud alayhi salam. Yet we have another story in the Quran regarding Prophet Dawud alayhi salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَهَلْ أَتَاكَ نَبَأُ الْخَصْمِ الْمِحْرَابِ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has the story of the disputants, the people who are the dispute. Has that reached your ears? Have you heard about it? Allah is asking the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, have you heard the story about the people who had a dispute? إِثْتَسَوَّرُ الْمِحْرَابِ When they scaled the sanctuary, so Dawud one day he was praying um, 
either uh, it was in his house, but in his house he appointed a masjid of the house. You know how we should have a masjid in our house or a corner or a place where we dedicate that this is going to be the place where we will do our salah, our Quranic recitation. Um, it shouldn't like be sporadic where we just randomly pray anywhere. Okay, we should try and focus a certain area. If you don't have a spare room, that's fine. You can dedicate part of a room or even one corner or one area. And anyone that needs to pray should go there and pray. But you don't have to do it like that, but that's the preferable way of doing it. So Dawud alayhi salam had an area. And Allah is saying that, have you heard about the story of the people who had a dispute? That instead of going and entering into the house of Dawud alayhi salam, they jumped over the wall. So he's performing salah. And they've just scaled, two people have scaled the wall and they've jumped in whilst he's praying. And minhum, that startled him. So he got startled by them. He was a human being at the end of the day. He's a prophet, he's a king, but he's a human at the same time. And we see the human side coming up where he actually felt startled. They said to him, don't worry, don't fear. Nothing, no, we're not come to attack you, not come to kill you. We don't mean any bad, we've not come to harm you. We are two disputants. One of us has oppressed the other. We want you to deal amongst us fairly. We want you to judge between us fairly. Don't be biased. And give us the right path. Show us the right direction. Tell us who's right, who's wrong, what we should be doing. So this is how the case is presented. One of them say, This is my brother. This is my brother here. He's got 99 sheep. And I've got one sheep. This is Quran, by the way. Okay, it's a Quranic story. So this is my brother. He's got 99 sheep. I've got only one sheep. He says to me that I should give my sheep to him as well. So he's saying like, give that to me as well. He's got 99. I've only got one. And he wants me to hand over this one I've got as well. And وَعَزَّنِي فِي الْخِطَابِ and he pressures me with his speech. I'm not like really well spoken. He's got the gift of the gab. So he, he's like talking me into it. He's pressuring me with his speech. So Dawud alayhi salam responds and he says to him, Your brother has oppressed you by asking for your sheep to be joined with his 99. And he wants to make it a hundred and you're left with none. He's already got nine. That, that's, that's him oppressing you. He's wronged you. And then he makes a general statement and he says, this is very common in partnerships. A very, he makes a general statement. Many partnerships end up like this, where one partner ends up wronging the other one. Except those who believe and have good deeds. They're far and few in between. Dawud al-Islam makes a general statement. Far and few in between, you will find a partnership that works perfectly well and it's successful. Most of the time in a partnership, you'll find one or the other wronging one another. At this moment, Quran says, Dawud realized and was convinced that Allah was testing him. That these two people were not men. Who were they? They were angels disguised as men. And he was being tested. He sought the forgiveness of Allah and he fell down kneeling to Allah and repented. Allah says we forgave him for this. And indeed, 
Dawood alayhi salam has a very special position and closeness to us, meaning to Allah, wa husna ma'ab, and a beautiful return. Like when he comes back to me, he returns to me in a very beautiful way. Now, these are the verses of Surah Sad. Now, this is a story. I've gone through the verses. Now, I'm just going to share with you something that we find in the books of Tafsir. And the reason why it's important for me to mention this is even some of the reliable books of Tafsir have mentioned certain interpretations of this story which are not suitable. So I feel it's important for me to share so that we are aware and we do not associate because we've been going on this journey from the beginning till now. You can kind of get a gist of things where we cannot profits our profits. We cannot say anything and everything about them. And there's a certain level where, it, up, to, up to a certain level, yeah, we understand. Beyond that, it's against the status of prophethood. Certain things, we cannot entertain even the thought that they would have done this. But what's surprising is some of the, which we know as reliable books of Tafsir, um, some of these interpretations have crept into there as well because they've been influenced by uh, the uh, Israeliyat, some of the biblical sources have mentioned some of these things and as a result of which they've crept in. I'm not really sure why some of them have included this. So I'm just going to highlight some of these things because I'm sure you may come across this, these kind of interpretations, at least you're aware. Uh, if you've come across it in children's books, storybooks on Prophet Dawood or you hear it in a lecture or you read it somewhere else online, just so that you know, because these things can sometimes mess your mind as well. Uh, so l l let, me, let me explain to you, first of all, what's being said. So we have... Alhamdulillah. So we have uh, a narration in which it is said that Dawud was told that you're going to be tested. And then he was told that your test is going to be today. So like be prepared, be on guard, you're going to be tested. So he grabbed his Zabur and he went into his mihrab. He locked the door and he took the Zabur with him. And outside he got like a doorman to sit there. And he told him like, don't give anyone permission to enter. So he's like really prepared for this test that's going to come his way. Whilst he was in his mihrab, in his sanctuary, in his prayer area, in his masjid of the house, um, Dawud is reciting the Zabur. And whilst he's reciting the Zabur and he's reading and he's praying, um, this bird flies past. And it's the most, one of the most beautiful birds anyone had ever seen. And it was like really colorful. And it, it kept like going past him like again and again and again and again and again and again. Um, and then Dawud kind of like he stopped what he was doing and it caught his attention. So he started following the bird like where it's going. So he stopped his reading and he's looking towards where the bird is. And then he followed the bird and the bird went up into the window. And Dawud follows the bird and he looks and it's sat on the, on the ledge. And when he sat on the ledge, Dawud wanted to see it like, wow, this is like a unique bird, never seen one of these before. He's finally stopped. Let me go and see it closer. So when he goes closer to the ledge of the window, as he tries to get the bird, the bird flies into the distance. Now he wants to see where did the bird go? So he climbs up, he looks out of the window, 
and he looks, where's the bird gone? Instead of seeing that bird, he noticed another bird. Okay, it was a woman. So what happens now? There was a, he notices his woman and she's taking a bath. She's just finished her men, menstrual cycle. She was taking a bath. And Dawud salam, the, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you what's here. This is not my story, by the way. I don't support this. I want you to hear this so you know uh, what kind of things can sometimes creep into our Islamic literature and which are not suitable uh, so we can differentiate. So the woman was taking a bath and um, she had just finished. Dawud according to this, glanced towards her. When she realized somebody's like kind of looking at me, she quickly covered herself and then her husband had actually gone in jihad, in battle. So she was alone at home uh, and her husband has gone to uh, jihad. Now Dawud this is what he says. فَكَتَبَ دَاوُدَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ إِلَىٰ رَأْسِ الْغُزَابِ Dawud sent a letter to the head of the army and said, uh, you know we spoke about the tabut, okay? So he said about the, regarding the tabut, that find out where, you know, the, the, who's carrying the tabut and um, who's got it and what's the situation with it. Anyway, in simple words, what happens is, um, According to this narration, it says Dawud wrote to the leader of the army and said for the husband of that woman, like make him in charge of the army um, and tell him to go and fight. And, and what it was, anybody who went and fought for the Tabut, it was like almost guaranteed that they're going to lose their life. They might get the Tabut, they're going to lose their life. So basically tell him to go, make him the leader of it. And as a result of which what happened was he lost his life. When he lost his life, what happens is the, the narration goes on to say that normally when you'd hear about someone passing away, you'd feel sorry, you'd feel pain. So what the narration goes on to say that Dawud didn't express any grief upon the dying of this person and immediately went to this woman and he married her. And then she, he had a child with her and uh, they say this was Suleiman alayhi salam. And um, when, when the... When this incident happened, where the two people jumped in, uh, he realized, he was reminded of that story. He was reminded of that story because they came in, they jumped in and it reminded him of what he did, that just to get that woman, he kind of got that man killed and then he didn't feel any remorse or regret on his dying. And so that's why he kind of fell into sajda. How does that sound? Would a prophet do something like that? Would a prophet do something like that just to get a woman, like cause someone to die and then go after a woman? And So the thing is, the sad thing is that some of these things have been mentioned in the books of Tafsir and you can come across them and it's quite worrying. So it's important. Had we not had the intro before, maybe you would have heard this story and somebody would have said SubhanAllah at the end. Right, that's what happens. But because we've had a disclaimer and you know exactly which route we're going down, you're kind of, you're like, you're waiting for the, the kind of the dodgy parts, thinking, all right, we know this is, this, is, this is quite messed up. And there's not one kind of narration. There's so many different ones. And they just like, they get worse. They get worse as they go along. Um, and we cannot entertain any thought like that regarding a prophet. So in another narration, it mentions Dawud alayhi salam had 99 wives. 
right? So that's one narration mentioned. He had 99 wives. So the way they mention it is like this. So the same kind of story happens where he goes for that woman and he causes that man to die. And then when the, when the two men jump into his house and they're fighting and saying 99 sheep and one sheep and Dawud says, well, that's wrong. You, like, how can you take, you've got 99, how can you take one? That's just wrong. So that's when they spoke up and said, well, you had 99 and you weren't happy with them. Why did you take that one? Like you had 99, why did you need to get another one? And the way you did it went around it, you wronged yourself. And they say, that's when Dawud realized and he made sajda. Again, can we imagine that? Like, would a prophet, is that, that's totally against the station of prophethood. Uh, and as Muslims, we don't believe uh, these kind of beliefs regarding prophet. Now you might think, where does all this come from? This come from biblical sources. And the Israelites, okay, uh, they don't believe in something we call Ismatul Anbiya, the innocence of the. We've got a belief of Ahlu Sunnati wal Jama'ah. We carry a belief that all of the prophets are ma'soom, innocent. They cannot commit a sin. This is like a, a, like a grounded belief that we have. They don't have that belief. They don't believe prophets are sinless. Thus, you'll find all of these things. And there's even a name for this woman as well that's been mentioned in the books of Tafsir. I forgot what it is. Um, Oriel or, or, or something like that. Uh, um, so, like I mentioned, there are numerous narrations like this which speak about um, uh, Dawud alayhi salam in a very inappropriate way. So we should be very careful in particular. Um, like I said, in biblical sources, you will find they refer to Dawud as being a murderer. As you can see over here, if they believe this, he, he's sending a letter so that that person could be killed. Over here, um, he would be referred to as somebody that commits adultery as well. And na'udhu billah, we cannot entertain. I mean, we, we don't think about these things about a normal person of the street. We've been told not to think bad about a person, let alone about a prophet and one of the great prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that has been mentioned in the Holy Quran. Um, so these are just a couple of examples. There are others, but um, we'll suffice on these. Now, there is a narration also, which some people have associated to the Prophet However, the scholars have said this is fabricated. It's not true. Somebody's made it up. They say, again, they're narrating it from the Prophet that the Prophet said the mistake of Dawud was the evil glance that he looked towards that. He shouldn't have looked towards that woman. That's what got him into trouble. But the scholars said that's fabrication. That is not a hadith. You cannot say that's lying. Uh, uh, associating a falsehood with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and you know there is an Imam al-Qurtubi rahmatullah mentions from Suddi rahmatullah who narrates from Sayyiduna Ali radiyallahu taala anhu says that if you hear anybody slandering Dawud alaihi salam, bring them to me. I will give that person one hundred and sixty lashes. I will get a whip and I will lash that person 60 times. Why? Why? Because in, a, in, in the Islamic rule, if you slander somebody, if you slander somebody, how many lashes do you get? It's in the Quran. How many lashes do you get? If you slander somebody, if for example, there's a woman 
and she's perfectly clean, she's pure, she's innocent, and you accuse her of having an affair with somebody and saying she slept with so and so, and it's not true, and you can't, you don't have proof, you don't back it up. What happens? You can make a claim, that's fine, but you have to bring witnesses. You can't bring witnesses, you've defamed, that's defamation, right? You get done for that. You'll be lashed 80 times. Next time, somebody else will think a hundred times before speaking rubbish about somebody. Even if, they, if, even if they know it's true, but they don't have witnesses, you can't go around saying it. Because if you do say it, and it gets to the court, what would happen? If you don't have the witnesses, you can't back it up, what would happen? You'd get 80 lashes. And that just prevents people going around saying things about people. Which we just have like, with social media especially. Like, you've got keyboard warriors, everyone just says what they want. Whenever they want, however they want, there's no control. So, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu said that I would lash that person 160 times, 80 times because he's an, 80 times because he slandered a person, another 80 times for slandering a prophet. So, and he'd get double because this is a prophet you're slandering. So, if you hear anyone saying that Dawud alayhi salam fell in love with a woman and had an illicit relationship, Okay, and he, he got this woman into his control by killing somebody off and had an affair with her. Bring him to me, I will lash him 160 times. How dare somebody speak about a Prophet of Allah in this way? So much so, Prophets are so particular that there is an incident we find in the seerah of the Prophet wasallam that there was a Sahabi there was a Sahabi who was one of the scribes of the Prophet Abdullah ibn Abi Sarah. Not a name that you'll hear commonly. Abdullah ibn Abi Sarah. He was one of the scribes. So when, when Wahi would come down, he was one of the people who would write down uh, on a piece of leather or you know, on, on a skin. He would write down the verse of the Quran. One day what happened, Wahi was being revealed. And as he was writing, um, he kind of guessed what the ending of the verse would be. So, and when the verses were revealed, that's how the verses were revealed. And you know, if you read the Quran, you kind of get used to the flow of the Quran. He thought to himself, hang on a second. I knew what that verse was. If I knew what it was, I guessed those few words and they came right. That means that I, there's something dodgy here. So he actually, from being a Sahabi, a scribe of Wahi, he actually became murtad. said, I, I don't believe in this Islam. What kind of Islam is this? And he left the fold of Islam. And that was really serious. And the Prophet wasallam, when he came to the conquest of Mecca at that time, he made a general announcement. If you find this man, he must be killed. Because he's gone out against the religion. He's become a renegade in, in such a way where he was one of the scribes. And now he's gone against it. Now, it so happened that he was a relative of Uthman ibn Affan. The Khalifa Uthman ibn Affan who was a relative of his. You feel for your family. You have a soft spot. Somebody's close to you. Obviously, even if they've done wrong, you kind of have this. Like Hatib ibn Abi Balta, again in the conquest where he secretly sent a letter saying, make preparations, the Prophet's coming with his army to attack. Whereas that was something really secret. He didn't tell anybody and he sent this message out anyway. So what happens now is Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. So there was a general thing. Sahaba knew if we see this man, we're supposed to kill him. Everybody knew this. 
Uthman ibn Affan, he went to him and he said, look, you know, this is what's happened. And Uthman ibn Affan, he, he, he kind of shielded him. He covered him in a cloth. And on that day, he brought him out. And he brought him to the Prophet And then when he opened and revealed who he was, like everyone was, whoa, like, whoa. Like, what, what are you you're shielding? An enemy, like, what are you doing? And everyone said, oh, Prophet of Allah, do we have permission? And the man, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, like, let, let him say what he wants to say. And he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he came to the Prophet of Allah and he says, look, you know, I want to repent. I want to come back. I want to become a Muslim. What I did was wrong. Please accept me. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he drew his hand close to the Prophet of Allah. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took his hand away. And he... It was a very emotional and a very difficult moment there. You've got Uthman ibn Affan on one side. This was serious, something really serious, nothing small. And he went to the Prophet of Allah again and he drew his hand away again. And third time he went again and the Prophet drew his hand away. And then when he went again, then the Prophet embraced him and allowed him to enter into Islam once again. Something amazing to see that that had never happened before. What if somebody leaves Islam and then comes back? What to do with that person? However, what I want to mention is coming now. The Prophet ﷺ then said to the Sahaba that he told the Sahaba that how come there were three occasions where I rejected him? I pulled my hand back. How come none of you killed him? Like you knew that the instruction was to kill him, right? But three times I kind of rejected him and anyone could have come because Makkah normally You cannot kill or no fighting in Makkah But for that one day, the sanctity of the Haram was lifted Haram did not have that sanctity for that one day Where if you find there was a list of people that these people Even if they're in the Haram, even if they're holding the Kaaba what they did was so bad that they will be killed. Just a few people. It wasn't a whole list. There's some individuals. Even from them, some were forgiven. So this was one of them. The Prophet of Allah said to the Sahaba, why is it that you knew that this was the general order? Three times I rejected him and despite that, you didn't kill him. And the Sahaba said, oh Prophet of Allah, you could have just like indicated to us with your eyes. You could have just winked to us. You could have said, like, just go for it. This is what I want you to mention. Uh, this is what I wanted to mention. The Prophet said, It is not appropriate for a Prophet to do khainatul ayn. A Prophet does, is not treacherous, even by indicating with the eye. Never. This is what I wanted to mention. That a Prophet. A prophet will never ever mislead somebody like that because that would be kind of, even though he's the enemy, he's a wrongdoer. The prophet says, I, I, I am a prophet. That is something I would. The Sahaba said, just indicate with your eyes, like secretly, give us a little wink. No, I'm a prophet, and a prophet cannot do that. When a prophet is protected from such things, you think they would go and kill and commit zina and all of this other rubbish that we find uh, being mentioned. So this is what I wanted to share with you uh, from the Prophet Now, what's the correct interpretation you might be asking? Um, so many of the scholars have said 
like just to keep it open as it is like don't go into it because there's nothing specific that has been mentioned that we can relate authentically one of the most um, kind of simplest explanations that have been given um, from the Quran if we don't go to any external sources is the Quran says that when they entered he became startled and the idea was that at that time he had dedicated to be in the presence of Allah worshipping Allah um, praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the fact that he kind of got startled and thought that they were going to attack him or kill him they say maybe that was his test that he um, so as a human you'd get startled but the fact to think that they were going to kill him or harm him um, and as a result of this he realized that that wasn't you know uh, that wasn't their intention I, I should have thought like that in regards to them or being in the presence of Allah should have been much more stronger and not feared them um, so that's what we can sort of see in the Quran but because there's no clear mention we don't want to go into making things up just to make the story, story sound good and Dawud went into sajda and the final verse how Allah ends this tells you that none of that is what could have ever been meant because Allah says Dawood has a very high and lofty rank near Allah and a very beautiful manner in which he returned to Allah. So that can never, if someone's got a high and lofty rank by Allah, would there be someone who commits adultery and zina? Never ever. And we don't even think about that regarding normal and common people, the pious people. How can we entertain such thoughts regarding a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Okay. Let's come to the end now and speak about the demise of Dawood alayhi salam. So Dawood alayhi salam, how does he pass away? Two things I'm going to mention. One is in regards to how long he lived for. And secondly is how he passed away and what transpired uh, at the end. So the first story is from the story of Adam alayhi salam. We spoke about it in the early session. When Allah created Prophet Adam alayhi salam, from his loins at the back, Allah extracted all of the souls of all the children of Adam including you and me. All the souls, every single person that was going to come into this world until the end of time, Allah extracted their souls from the loins of Adam and he presented them to him. Adam was told, these are all your children. And he was like looking out, checking them all out. He saw you, he saw me, he saw oh, everybody. From amongst all of his children, so he's looking at all of these souls, there was one particular soul we find that stood out, was very radiant and luminous. So he said, Allah, who is this? Whose soul is this? And Allah told him that, oh Adam, this is the soul of Dawood. He's going to be a prophet. One of your children, he's going to be a prophet. Oh, okay. Very radiant, beautiful soul. Very nice. I'm very impressed. How long is he going to live for? Allah told him he's going to live for 60 years. 60 years. So Adam says, only 60 years, such a beautiful soul and only 60 years. How many years do I have? Allah said, you have a thousand years to live. Okay, Allah, I'm going to give him. Can you give 40 years of my life to him? Allah says, okay, deal done. 40 years of your life, meaning Adam life was given to Dawood Dawood now has how many years to live? 100 and Adam has? 
960. That was an easy one. Okay. So when Adam alayhi salam, the hadith of Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Muslim, when Adam alayhi salam reached the age of 960, the angel of death came here, knocking on the door. Come on, time to go. He says, no, I've still got 40 years left. I have 40 years left. You've come 40 years early. I have a thousand years and you've come 40 years early. He said, you gave 40 years to Dawud alayhi salam. He says, no, I didn't. He says, yes, you did. You give 40 years to Dawud alayhi salam. He says, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Simply, I mean, it's been a long time. He'd forgot. The simple thing was, Adam alayhi salam forgot. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Adam alayhi salam forgot. Thus, his children also forget as well. Why do we forget? Because Adam alayhi salam forgot. And that's where forgot, forgetfulness has come from. Our father, Adam alayhi salam, forgot at that time that he had given 40 years of his life to Dawud alayhi salam. So coming to the demise of Dawud alayhi salam. So Dawud alayhi salam has lived his 100 years. We have a hadith which has been narrated by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad and it is a strong narration. Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Kana Dawood al-Nabi fihi ghayratun shadida Dawood alayhi salam was a prophet who had a very strong sense of modesty and very strong sense of honor very like protective very ghayra uh, sense of honor like he wouldn't like he wouldn't want anyone else like touching his things or touching his property or being close to his family like you know like this is this is my area right no one steps on my ground kind of thing so he had this sense of modesty sense of honor sense of self-respect when he would leave his house he would lock the doors he didn't want anyone else like going into his house invading his privacy so like he wouldn't want any like any person any random person any strangers coming into his house whilst he's not there um, so this is just how he was as a person. One day Dawood alayhi salam left the house and he locked the door. The wife of Dawood alayhi salam looked towards the house and she noticed There was a man who was standing inside the house. Hey. Dawud al-Islam just left. He locked the door. She looked back and she saw that there's a man standing in the house. So she shouted to the man who was in the house, What? The door is locked. How did you get in? How did you get in? And she said to him that my husband is going to feel really bad about this. Right? He, he's very protective. He doesn't want anyone going into his house like that. Like, you just walked in. How did, first of all, how did you get in? And when he comes back, you're going to be in trouble. So, فَجَاءَ Dawood, The hadith says that Dawood alayhi salam returned. فَإِذَا الرَّجُلُ قَائِمٌ وَسَطَ الدَّارِ He noticed that there's a man standing inside his house. He's outside and there's a man in there. فَقَالَ لَهُ Dawood مَنْ أَنْتَ Dawood alayhi salam said, who are you in my house? قَالَ أَنَا الَّذِي لَا أَحَابُ الْمُلُوكُ وَلَا يَمْتَنِعُ مِنِّي شَيْءٍ he says, I am the one who doesn't fear any king of the world and no obstacle can prevent me. I'm the one who doesn't fear any king, any ruler. I'm not scared of anybody. And nothing and no one can bar me. No obstacle can bar me. 
So immediately Dawud says, Anta wallahi malakul maut. says, Wallahi, I know who you are. You are the angel of death. Famarhaban bi amrillah. Welcome to the command of Allah. Faramala Dawudu makanahu haythu qubidat. Ruhuhu hatta faragha min sha'nihim. So Dawud soul was extracted there and then. Angel of death took the soul of Dawud Where he passed away, they carried out his ghusl and they shrouded him as well. And they wanted to bury him also. So when they completed like the shrouding and the bathing, the sun then rose. And the sun started beaming down and they've got the body of Dawud there. فَقَالَ Sulaiman لِطَيْرِ Now the son of Dawood is Sulaiman alayhi salam who we're going to speak about from next week insha'Allah. So Sulaiman alayhi salam, he called all the birds. And he said to the birds, أَظِلِّي عَلَى دَاوُودِ Give shade to Dawood alayhi salam. فَأَضَلَّتْ عَلَيْهِ الطَّيْرِ حَتَّى أَظْلَمَتْ عَلَيْهِمُ الْأَرْضِ So all the birds came and they started, they spread their wings out. Shading Dawood alayhi salam, who's passed away now. His janazah is there and they want to save him, protect him from the heat of the sun. All the birds came, so many birds, and they all spread their wings. And because they spread their wings, what happened? It became really dark. It became pitch black because they did all so many, imagine thousands and thousands of birds all following. This is Sulaiman who spoke to the birds. He said, birds, wings. And immediately you had thousands of birds they spread their wings over Dawood alayhi salam. فَقَالَ لَهَا سُلَيْمَانَ So Dawood Sulaiman alayhi salam said, well, this, is, this doesn't seem to be working. It's gone too dark. We need a bit of light now. So he said to them, اِقْبِدِي جَنَاحًا جَنَاحًا Okay, all the birds, all of you, I want you to uh, contract one wing. Take one wing in. Just keep one wing out, one wing in. And we find Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu says, فَطَافِقَ يُرِيَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ كَيْفَ فَعَلَتِ الطَّيْرُ وَقَبَضَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَدَهُ Abu Huraira says the Prophet ﷺ started to show us, he actually practically showed us uh, how the birds, what he did, the Prophet ﷺ said, this is how the birds were, okay, they'd, they'd put out their wings, all, imagine all the wings, all the birds had, put out their wings it says the hadith says the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam then showed us by closing one of his hands like this so he closed one of his hands and said all the birds what they did they had their wings out imagine they one of they all closed one wing so that would allow a bit of light and a bit of shade as well every single bird took one wing in وَقَبَدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَدَهُ وَغَلَبَتْ عَلَيْهِ يَوْمَئِذٍ الْمَضْرَحِيَّةِ and the grave of and the, the janazah of Dawood alayhi salam on that day was overwhelmed by the shading of the wings of all of these birds. Imagine the, the, the falcons and the eagles and the hawks, they've got like long wings, right? And they've been told like, take one wing in and just leave one wing out. And the hadith mentions that day, all the birds had covered and shaded Dawood alayhi salam for his janazah then to take place beneath the wings of the birds. Now from the story of Dawud alayhi salam, we can take numerous lessons. I'm going to mention just three and then we'll end. Number one, first of all, prophets are always ready to meet Allah. When Dawud alayhi salam saw and recognized he was the angel of death, what did he say? 
He said, Anta wallahi malakul maut. Wallahi, you are the angel of death. Famarhaman bi amrillah. Welcome to the command of Allah. Command was death at that time. And these were the uh, prophets of Allah. La rahata lil mu'min illa fi liqa illah. When the pious people used to say that the, the true comfort a believer will experience is when you meet Allah. That will be the true comforting moment. That will be the true pleasure a person, the real happiness when you meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That was the first lesson. Lesson number two is how angels can transform or disguise themselves as human beings, as we've seen in the story of Dawud not once but on two occasions. Uh, one was the one that we mentioned and earlier as well we spoke about another one. And the third one is how Dawud had this sense of honor, self-respect um, over his family. He didn't want any old person walking into his house. And the Prophet actually referred to the individual who doesn't really care about strange men talking to his wife or daughters, uh, who doesn't really care about, he doesn't really care if people kind of flirt with your female members of your family. A person who doesn't really feel anything. The Prophet actually called that person at the youth, the youth. This is like a, it's a derogatory term. You might hear people speaking, like swearing somebody, calling out oh, you are the youth. Okay, this was used by the Prophet ﷺ to show that you're like a waste man, basically. If you are a person who doesn't have that self-respect where the female members of your house deserve respect and you kind of just, you don't, you don't really care if people are coming and kind of flirting with them and you're comfortable with it, you sit back, you kind of just let them do it. Okay, um, there's no point you taking on, on the women. You talk to the guys and tell them to sort themselves out. Okay, we, and unfortunately, we always, we're always targeting the women and the women are targeting the men. It's, it's just, it just becomes a battle. In everything we do, it's so easy to point fingers at other people. Okay, if everyone just did their own thing and every, the world would be a better place. And, you know, having this self-respect, um, it's, it, it's, 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 it's a valuable and a praiseworthy trait we find that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ghira and a believer also has ghira. How does Allah have ghira? Allah has this ghira because when a person does something that Allah has made haram, that is, you know, that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want you to do that. Thing like, how dare you? Like, I've told you not to do that and you're doing it. And the hadith mentions that man qutila duna ahlihi fahuwa shaheed. If you are killed protecting your family, you will be considered a shaheed. You know, you, you're, you don't run away, you, you stay there because you're protecting your family. There's a hadith that mentions, Man malihi, uh, shaheed. You're protecting your wealth, right? Your property, your house, and you get killed, you're a martyr as well. You get killed looking after your honor, your dignity, Okay, you are considered a shaheed as well. So on this we will end. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enlighten our hearts with the nur of the Quran. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us to walk in the footsteps of the Anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam. And inshallah next week we will start the story of Prophet Sulaiman alayhi salam. Subhanallah wa bihamdi. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka.